quick question for you. Isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting for almost all of us, especially if you're a person of faith, that faith often deteriorates as circumstances deteriorate? Isn't that interesting? Like confidence in God, trust in God, rise and fall with the randomness of life, and faith is often replaced by fear when circumstances go sideways. Because here's what fear does for all of us. Fear, it turns us all into fortune tellers. And I think this is a fascinating thought. That when we get afraid, we just think we know how the future is going to go. Whether it's with your family, your marriage, your company, with the government. I mean, we decide we know what's coming because we tend to think the worst because that's where fear takes us. And what we realize is we're not sure, you know, if God holds the future, but I know what I hold in the future. And that's just a mess. And that no one's holding my future and certainly not God. And maybe for you, you feel that way today. And you showed up here in the building or online because you feel overwhelmed by some fear in your life and some insecurity with your family or your finances or something else. And it's just easy for someone like me to say, listen, here's what's going to fix it all. Just believe, just believe, just believe. But here's what I know is I'm not sure I have the moral authority to tell you all, just believe. But the good news for all of us is I think there's some men and women that have the moral authority to say, I saw God in action, and you can trust and you can believe. And one of those people that we've been talking about in this series, You're Not Far, is Peter. Because as we've walked through this series, we've talked about the fact that Jesus showed up on the planet. And when he showed up on the planet, man, everything changed, and Peter was an eyewitness to it. And then Peter, you know, for 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, just went around telling the story of how he'd seen God move in incredible ways. And Peter lost his friends, Peter lost his family for what they believed, but he still believed at the end. And now we have Peter dictating the story of Jesus to his traveling mate, John Mark. It's where we get the gospel of Mark. And Peter would say over and over that Jesus' message, his bottom line was this, that the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news that God is close And repent is this positive outlook on turning towards God and following wherever God has taken us. And if you've been around for this series, we're glad that you've engaged. And if you're brand new, you're kind of jumping into the middle of the end of the movie. So let me just catch up real quick. Last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus and his boys were up in Caesarea Philippi. And they traveled all the way down on the road to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was ultimately headed. But they stopped in at Jericho. This long journey. And what Jesus began to do was talk about this paradigm shift. That leaders in his organization, leaders in his kingdom, in his movement, would start to look at their leadership and their authority so different. Because you know this. Anytime you and I, truth is, anytime anybody has authority, has resources, has power, we have a tendency, and almost, it's almost like built into us that we're going to leverage it for ourselves, that whatever power and resources I get, I'm going to get it toward, put it towards me. And I might dole just a little bit out to other people, but I'm going to use it for me. And Jesus looked at his followers and said, whenever you get power and authority, because you're going to become famous following me, and you feel like you want to leverage, leverage it for you, he just simply said, not so for you. This is not how my kingdom is going to work. You're going to leverage it for other people. I'm here to reverse the order of things everywhere. There's a brand new way. And then Jesus punctuated this by saying, for even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, next slide, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I did not come to this kingdom, and I'm the greatest person that's ever walked on the planet Earth. 
I didn't come to serve myself or to be served. I came to serve everyone around me. And then Jesus would punctuate that when he gave his life on the cross. Now, as Jesus travels towards Jerusalem, the crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger, and there's so much energy around Jesus. And there were rumors that he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, and that he gave a man named Bartimaeus his sight back after he'd been blind for a very long time time. And he enters into Jerusalem with this massive crowd following him. And most of them were cheering him on and some hated him, but most of them were on his side. And this is what Peter recounts. Peter says, many people spread their cloaks on the road. We we walked into Jerusalem. There's all these people. And, And while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, those who went ahead and those who followed, they shouted. And in this moment, I'm sure Peter's thinking, I was convinced That Jesus was the king with the sword and the army that was going to get us out of bondage to Rome forever. I mean, this was it. Because people shouted, Hosanna, like, save us, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it got a little political because they said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Oh, we were so hoping Jesus was going to be a king like David. Because David was a warrior king. He was powerful and he had armies and he conquered anyone that stood against him. That's what we were looking so for. And we were so pumped up. We'd, we kind of pushed that whole, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be mocked and spit on. We kind of pushed that to the side because we didn't want to hear the negative. And sometimes as Christians, we do that. We want to push those kind of things away, like serve one another. It was just like, just do your thing, Jesus. But Jesus had a whole bigger picture in mind. So Jesus gets to Jerusalem, Peter would say, and he went to the temple several times. And when he went to the temple, he would stir up trouble because he was Jesus. And he'd frustrate the religious leaders. And Peter recounted that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, people like me, people with microphones that would tell people how they ought to live and be judgmental and hypocritical, they heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him. They plotted. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. It's interesting that Peter says this. They, they weren't afraid of his miracles at that point, and he w- really wasn't stirring up stuff to like raise up an army. He just taught in such a way it scared them. And so they tried to frame him over and over for treachery. So again, Jesus leaves the city, and the next day he comes back and The religious leaders, you know, they approach him, they try and trick him, and Jesus, if you read the account, he tells this parable, this is so cool, he makes the religious leaders out to be the villains, and the non-religious people made them look like they were close to God, and again, Peter recounted. Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they look for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against him. But they wouldn't arrest Jesus in that moment. And here's why, and Peter knew this, they wouldn't arrest him because they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and they went away. It's so fascinating. They couldn't get their hands on Jesus because there was this mob of people. Sure, you try and get Jesus and this mob was just going to tear your arms and legs off. That's how close they were. That's how much they loved Jesus. What's fascinating, we're going to look at this in, in about a week's time. The crowd turned on him. They hated him. It's such an interesting question. And because they couldn't arrest him, they tried to, the religious leaders, the religious leaders decided, we're going to trick him. And they asked Jesus a brilliant question. They started it off with buttering him up and saying, Jesus, you're an honorable person. You're a good person. You're a godly person. But I got a, I got a question, Jesus. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? 
Should we pay or should we not? And they broached the subject that is just a heated thing for all generations. Because when I say to you, hey, how do you feel about paying taxes? We all grumble just a little bit, don't we? In fact, if you want to get in a great family feud over your next holiday vacation time with your relatives, talk about who should pay taxes and who shouldn't. And everybody gets into a fight and gets mad at each other, right? Or we run around with our trucks and yell and scream in the streets. Whatever we do, we, we all hate this tax thing. And 2,000 years ago, they hated taxes in the same way. And this imperial tax was a poll tax, which means every person, man, woman, child, whether you worked or whether you didn't work, you were taxed equally. And it was a huge tax. And the Jewish people hated this tax because it reminded them that their nation, Israel, was not sovereign anymore. They were enslaved. They were in bondage to Rome. And they ask this question because they know they can trick Jesus. They don't need the crowd to agree. They're just going to hang Jesus out to dry. Because if he says, yes, you should pay the tax, it gets him in trouble with the Jewish patriots. The patriots would go nuts if he said, yeah, you ought to pay the tax. And if he said no, it gets him in trouble with Rome. Yeah, go ahead and say you don't want to pay Rome their money. And they'll come with sword and spear in hand, and they will slay everybody. And they've got Jesus backed into a corner. Not to mention it is Passover, which was a celebration of when Moses led God's people out of Egypt. And they celebrated every year, so there's all this patriotism, there's all this energy, there's this, all this, we are Israel, we are God's people. And the disciples, Jesus' followers, Peter, I'm guessing, was worried. How, how do we get out of this? How's he going to figure this one out? And in the middle of being asked this question, should you pay the poll tax, Jesus reaches, I'm guessing, into his pockets, and he says, listen, I don't have any money. And he says to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hey, could you bring me a denarius and let me look at it? And this was a coin that they paid their taxes with. And the coin, it looked like this. There's a front and back just like the coins of today. And on the front of the coin was a picture of Tiberius Caesar. And the inscription on the front of the coin was the son of divine Augustus. In other words, this is our God or this is a God. And on the back was an inscription of the head of the Roman religion. And I cannot overemphasize how offensive this coin was to the Jewish people. And it gets worse. Look at what Peter tells us through Mark's writings that they brought Jesus the coin. They brought Jesus the coin. In other words, a Pharisee reached into his pocket and he pulled the coin out of his pocket. And you've got to picture this. And he had it holding it in the palm of his hand. And Jesus says to him, hey, when it comes to that coin in your hand, whose image is this? Now, we don't get this in our culture, in our world. But in that moment, it is game over, rover. It's like drop the mic, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Jesus just won the argument. And for us, 2,000 years later, we're like, why did Jesus win the argument? Here's why. One of the big ten like the big ten commandments, is thou shalt have no other gods and no graven images on your possession, in your house, in your home, in the city, in your pocket, in the temple. Thou shall not. And here is this religious leader that's supposed to keep the rules perfectly with a graven image in his pocket. Whose image is this? And Jesus smiles, I'm guessing, and he just simply says, and whose inscription is it? Now, here's a fun fact. Five years before this, 
Herod brought in shields, like fighting shields, with a picture of Tiberius on the front of these shields. He just brought them in for protection, safety for the soldiers to have. But because they had an image on the front of the shield, the Jewish people, the Israelites in Jerusalem, they went crazy. They rioted. They quit working. They let their crops start to die. They would just pu- they push back with everything they had. It was such a mess on Herod's hands that he collected all those shields and he got them the heck out of Jerusalem. So this is why this is such a hot topic. It almost caused wars and fights. And now here's these religious leaders with a picture in their own pocket. Whose picture is this? Whose inscription is this? Jesus asked. It's Caesar's. They replied. Let me get this straight. You have a picture of Caesar who calls himself your God in your pocket. I'm not talking about it's in the temple. I'm not talking about it's in your home. It's literally in your pocket, right? Well, do you think if it's so wrong to have something like that, you should just probably take that coin that you've been asked for from Caesar and just give it back to Caesar? Isn't that brilliant? What is Caesar's? And to God, what is God's? Give Caesar what is his. You're not supposed to have that in your pocket anyway. And give to God what is God's. And Peter's recounting the story, and I'm guessing he's thinking, I just couldn't believe it. I watched that that day, and I watched the Pharisees and the Sadducees just melt away. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop because no one could say anything back. Everybody was convicted. Jesus won the day. He's smarter than everyone else's. And then, then Peter again, he smiled, and he said, and... In light of that, they were amazed at him. And the Pharisees leave, and the Sadducees, the other religious leaders, they stepped up, and Jesus essentially does the same thing to them. And Peter remembers after that, after that whole interaction, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I'll bet they didn't dare ask him any more questions questions. This is an amazing encounter. So Jesus and the 12, they march on past the temple in the city, and this is what Peter tells us. He says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And they're staring at this massive temple that was built by Herod back in the day, and it cost tons and tons of money. And this massive temple was earthquake-proof. It was huge, and they had stones that weighed not 500 pounds, but 500 tons. It was this magnificent structure. And Jesus says something incredible. He says, do you see all these great buildings? Look around you, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown, not torn, but thrown, not wrecked, not, but thrown down. Wait, wait, you mean fall down, Jesus? No, thrown down. And this is what he was talking about. This is a picture of the inner courts of the temple. It's a mock picture, actually. And this was, a, this was on a 37-acre plot of land on a plaza. We'll show you another quick picture. This is pulled back. And this is this incredible mock-up of what that structure probably looked like. Now, here's what you need to know. This was so well-built and was so massive, an earthquake couldn't make all these stones fall down. It would take an army that had a plan and a strategy to remove all these stones off this plaza deck. And Jesus says, yeah, every stone's going to be torn down. And then he moves on to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, guys, like, oh, oh, Jesus, before we move on, before you go into your Nixon, because you're always doing that, you're going on to a Nixon, explain this to us. 
And the next thing that Jesus tells them is the most remarkable, unexpected, verifiable prophecy given by anyone at any time. This is a really big deal. And Matthew and Mark and John all detail Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of this temple. This impossible thing that could not happen. It's not possible. There's no way. And yet, 40 years later, on August 6, 70 AD, the Roman army slammed through the gates and the walls of Jerusalem, and they burned the city. And then they captured the Jewish people, and they enslaved them, and they made them hand by hand tear down each of the stones out of the temple. It took forever to do until the entire plaza was completely flattened, and not one stone lay on that plaza. They all had been pushed over the side. Here's a picture. If you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see these stones at the bottom of this hill where every stone had been pushed over the side. Something absolutely impossible, Jesus predicted, came true exactly as he said. It's so fascinating because I think there's a point to this. I think Jesus was trying to help them understand, guys, that something greater than the temple has arrived. The old is passing away. This foundation of the Jewish faith, that is going away. And now this new kingdom is here and it's way better because this new kingdom is going to bring this idea that something that would make the you beside you. You know who the you beside you is? Look to your left and look to the right. Some of you look at the you beside you right now and you smile with all your heart, right? Some of you look at the you beside you and you're thinking, oh, I wish I didn't have to sit next to him again, right? Why can't he just get figured out? Maybe the you beside you is a parent. The you beside you is your children and they're 13 and they're driving you crazy. That's the you beside you. The you beside you is the person you're going to go home today that lets their dog poop in your yard. They drive you crazy, right? Just you want to pull your hair out. The you beside you. Something that would make the you beside you every bit as sacred as the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to usher in this kingdom that said every human being that you come eyeball to eyeball with is someone that is sacred to God. And I am going to make you walking temples because my spirit who I am is going to literally live inside you. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And you're going to walk around caring who I am in your heart, which means every transaction you have with someone, you get to love them and treat them the way I have loved you. It's just an amazing thing he was introducing to his followers. And this is what happened next. Now the Passover, P Peter's telling the story. And the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. Now they're back outside the city, and the disciples come and they ask him in light of this, they ask him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? This was a huge, important thing. Now here's what's cool. Jesus had already made arrangements for this. So he says, guys, go into the city, and you're going to see a man carrying water. He won't be hard to find because men in those days did not carry water. Women only carried water. I can't explain to you why. It was just the way it worked back then. It probably wasn't fair. It's just the way it was. So if you see a dude carrying water, just follow him, and he'll take you to where you're supposed to go. And so they did. They make preparations. And Peter says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And he always says, well, having to travel in the evening, because if he went out in the daytime, he would get mobbed by people that loved him. I mean, a few didn't love him, but a lot of those people would just mob him. So he traveled at night. And they expect, all right, this is going to be it. Jesus is going to announce his kingdom and his power. 
and his army, and we're taking it back. I mean, that's what they were always waiting on. But instead, my Savior, and hopefully your Savior, this is what he does. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. And before they knew what was happening, this is what he said. He said, take it. This is my body. What? Yeah. You know, I just broke it. It's a symbol of what's going to happen to me in a very short time. And we wish Peter would have given us more details and told us more of what he said around that, but he doesn't. So he just keeps telling the story. Then he, then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Now, this is so interesting. After they drank from it, he says this, this is my blood. So it's already in their mouth, going down their throat, and he says, this is my blood. Now, this is incredible, because if you know anything about the Jewish law, it was forbidden for a Jewish person to drink blood. This is just a symbol, but this was forbidden. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's making Passover, the celebration of the Israelites escaping from Egypt, all about him. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, and the covenant is always between God and men, and God and women, God and people. This is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Wait, 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 Jesus. We don't really want that. We don't need a covenant. We need a king. And we don't want your blood to be spilled. We want victory. And it would take them weeks and maybe months for them to understand on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection what Jesus was talking about. And in the middle of this, I'm guessing Peter would have thought, man, Jesus was really disturbed, though. It was like he was heavy burdened, maybe a little anxious, and he takes us away, and we go to this garden of Gethsemane, and he starts praying with all of his might, and he felt desperate, and he's begging his heavenly Father that he doesn't have to go to the cross. And Peter remembers looking off into the dark distance in the middle of the night, and torches and men come thundering down the hill. And Judas is leading him. And G Judas approaches Jesus and he kisses Jesus. And that's the signal that this is the one. This is the one you're to arrest. And if you've read the story, Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off a soldier's ear. Now my guess is he was not aiming for a soldier. He was aiming for Judas. And he missed. Jesus picks up that ear and he slaps it back on the soldier's head and heals him. Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Have I been hiding? Have I been a fugitive? Every day, I mean, every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me then. And in that moment, Peter makes a decision that he would regret forever. His disciples make a decision that they would regret forever because there was a gap. There was a gap between what they expected from Jesus and what Jesus actually did. They expected this, and they got this. And in the gap, left them in a place of despair. In that moment, Peter lost hope. And he's telling the story to Mark, and I'm guessing as he was telling Mark the story, Mark looks at Peter, writing it down, and, and just thought and said, Peter, do you really want me to write this down? Do you really want me to document what you did next? Do you really want the world to know who you were in this moment? And Peter probably said, no, but it was the truth. And let's tell the truth, because in that moment, everyone, including me, we deserted him.
and we fled. Because we thought it was over. Jesus, we realized in that moment, was no king. And he was certainly no Messiah, and his kingdom had not come. And they thought the worst about God because things had deteriorated. And we said this at the beginning of the message. For all of us, for Peter and the followers of Jesus, who saw all these amazing things, their faith deteriorated when their circumstances deteriorated. Their faith was quickly replaced by fear. And Peter became a fortune teller. I'll tell you how this is going to go. It's all going to go bad. And fear got the best of him, and he quit trusting in a Savior that he had put so much trust in before. And somehow he forgot God was holding his future in his hands. And listen, this is the deal for all of us. We all go to this place, don't we? When our circumstances go south, we go south with our trust in God. And I think Peter would want to say to you, don't do what I did. There is a better path that you can trust to God. And when when it looks like things are going south, God is still there. And again, you may feel like right now, my circumstances are going south. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do with my marriage. I don't know what to do with my work. And Peter said, but God's still in it and he's still faithful. And you can trust him because he's close and he's near. Now, I thought in light of all of this today, it would be great for us to have a conversation a conversation with one of our staff members who is going into some incredible territory that's a little bit scary at the same time. So I'm going to invite Ben Montgomery, our service programming director, out because he's got some cool things and some scary things ahead of him, and I want to talk about it. Ben, thanks for coming out, man. Uh, of course. Thanks yeah, for having it's me. Good, good to have you here. Hey, so we've been talking about this idea of fear and not knowing what's ahead, and I know God's called you to some cool things, and I thought I'd just let you share with everybody what those are. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to share with you a little bit of vision, a little bit of our dream that we have on our life. But in order to do that, I want to actually invite all of us to kind of corporately for just a moment uh, dream and imagine something together. So I want to invite us all to do this. I want to invite you to picture a church and picture this church where uh, somebody who is a lifelong follower of Christ uh, can sit next to somebody who has never walked in the doors of a church ever in their life, and they can sit next to each other and enjoy an experience that changes their lives and it brings them closer to, to Jesus. A place where somebody who maybe has had a past history that's maybe poor or rough with the church or with religion, they can walk in, they can experience it, and they can leave and they can say to themselves, I'm not sure I believe it. Uh, I'm not even really sure if I like it, but man, I cannot wait to come back next Sunday. Uh, To picture picture a church where um, somebody who has a thriving relationship with Jesus can grow even deeper in their faith, and at the same time, it's an irresistible environment that captures the hearts and imaginations of people that uh, previously considered themselves far from God. A church where uh, students can go and ask their tough questions, and they're, they're uh, in a safe environment to do so. They're in an environment that's also thrilling and inviting for them. And a church where kids love to come back so much that they beg their parents to come back every single week uh, because they're growing uh, closer to God. They're learning about a God that loves them from leaders that care about them. Now, um, you can open your eyes. So. That's a good joke. Anyway, um, so it's not, not hard. They weren't, they weren't closed because of the preaching, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yeah, you Wake it. up. <laughs> Wake um, up. No, uh, but it's, it's not difficult for those of us in this room to imagine that. It's not difficult for those of us here to uh, try and picture that or dream that because we're experiencing it right now in this moment. We're actually sitting here uh, living it out. We get to live it out every single week as part of this church, and it's a great thing. Our, our students, your students, my students, and our kids, they get to experience this thing in their environments on a weekly basis, and so it's a neat thing that's happening. But for my wife and I, we have felt for many years, and especially in the last uh, several months, we felt like uh, this thing 
could really benefit our hometown community of St. Joe, Missouri, where we're from. Um, that, that there's not really anything quite like this there and, and something that could really uh, be a, a big need there. And this was kind of, this kind of grew in our hearts a little bit when we were back for the holidays because I got to have some conversations with some people that kind of opened my eyes even more to the need for something like this. And so we started talking a little bit more about how, okay, we've been talking for years about how we wish somebody would plant a church like Lifehouse in St. Joe, Missouri, um, so that people who, who are close to God and have a relationship with God can come, but also they feel comfortable inviting their unchurched friends because it's a place that unchurched people love to attend. And so we just, we felt really strongly that we wanted to, that we wish somebody would create that. And then it kind of dawned on us, we've been talking about this for so long, what if God is, is leading us to plant that thing? What if God is leading us to create that thing? And so we started discussing it and we started inviting people into the conversation and we prayed about it like crazy and ultimately we landed at this place that God is calling us, God is leading us on a journey to go plant a church in St. Joe, Missouri in 2022. Wow, wow. isn't that cool? Isn't that cool to hear that? Yeah. So, so Ben and I have had a lot of conversations about this. They're going to start this church. It's called Current Church. They're going to try and reach this incredible group of people that God loves with all of his heart. And I know that sounds exciting. There's a mission and a vision that's so exciting around that. But I'm guessing there's just a little bit of anxiety. Would that be fair? Fear in trying to figure that out a little bit also? Uh, no, that's not correct. There's not, not a little bit of anxiety. There's a lot of there's anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety. That's good. Yeah, so tell uh, us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I think about this, like I am, I've heard it said a lot over the years that if the vision, the dream that you feel like God has given you doesn't scare you a little bit, then it's probably not a God-sized dream. And it's, this scares me to no end. So I don't know what that tells you, yeah. but uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of things. I don't think I could even narrow it down to a couple, but some of the things that, I'm, that just scare me to death are thinking about, uh, I, I think about my own personal inadequacy. Like I'm, I'm far from perfect and I prove it all the time. And I, I just think there are probably hundreds if not thousands of people out there that are way more qualified to do this than I am. Uh, so I feel that, I fear that. Um, I, I think about I have a huge, right now, I mean, at this stage, I have a huge fear of failure. I mean, what happens if we uproot our family and we move and we go there and we try this thing and it just falls flat? Like, what will people think about me? Uh, was I really hearing God's voice in this thing? You know, like, I'm, I'm afraid of that. And then on a little bit more of a practical level, I, I've really been thinking a lot about how to provide for my family mm -hmm. because this is the way I provided for my family throughout my entire marriage and our family life. And uh, we're transitioning over the summer we're, we're moving to Missouri over this, this summer of this year, uh, which gives us a few months. But if we were to leave right now, I would have no income. I'd have no way of supporting my family. I'd have no way of putting food in my kids' mouths. And so that's, uh, that's a real fear totally. right now uh, of how do, I, how do I do that. Yeah. When Ben was sharing this with me today and along the last couple months, um, I remember 15, 16 years ago when we were launching this, I had those exact same feelings. So a question for you, how are you navigating that anxiety and fear. How, how are you walking through that right now? Um, well, aside from uh, going into my bedroom and curling up in the corner and crying about every other day. <laughs> that's good. Uh, not really. But I mean, that, that's, about how, yeah. that's about how like anxiety producing this is. Like yeah. it's about that bad. Like yeah. this is crazy. What we're about to do is crazy. And I think the way that I, I tackle it mentally, aside from my wife, I mean, she's been a huge support mm -hmm. through all this. That's, that, I can't speak enough about that. But just rem remembering that every single time I've taken a risk, every single time I I've tried to do something that I feel like God is leading me to, God has been there in the middle of it every single time. Like the, f the further out I go into that, 
this is where God is leading, the closer I feel like God is, has been in those moments. And, and even when it feels impossible, he, he's been faithful. And so just a, a reminder that we've had, we have examples in the past in our lives where God has been faithful. And then also like when, when it comes to the, the personal inadequacy fears, I, I'm just reminded of, there are tons and tons of illustrations of people in scripture that in, by our standards, by what we would look at, God called and Jesus called people that we would probably consider the most inadequate, unqualified people on the planet. And those people ended up changing the world. And so that's just kind of a, a constant reminder for me that God's got this long before I do. That's great. Now, I want to say this because maybe you're, you know, where you are online in the house and you got some fears like Ben has. And you're like, well, of course God's going to be with Ben. He, he's going to start a church. He's going to reach people. He's going to do these grandiose things, which they are grandiose. But I, I just would tell you, and I think Ben would too, and certainly Peter would say, listen, whatever you're facing, God cares about you and what you're facing just as much as he does what Ben's doing, what we did 15 years ago with this place, because he cares about you and he loves you. And remembering that God has been there in the past with us, with people in Scripture, with you, and he'll be there with you in the future is what we would tell you and Peter would tell you. Now, I, I will also say this. You know, I have a side of my anxiety when Ben told me he was leaving because I'm like, oh, what are we going to do without Ben? He is such a valuable part to our team. I mean, literally, he has helped us raise the level of what we've done here to a whole different level. I mean, I literally don't know how to turn the lights on in here. And so when he leaves, are we going to be sitting in the dark? How does all that work? And so I'm cheering him on in my own place. I have my own anxiety around this. But here's what I also know. God has been faithful to us in the past also. Now, we've had transitions and we've had change. And someday, you know, I won't be here and someone else will come and they'll lead this church. And we can trust God in the moments because he's been faithful in the past and in the future. And I just want you to know we are all learning to trust that like Peter did along the way. We've got about four months left with Ben around here, so we're going to treasure that. We're going to cheer you guys on. We're going to, you know, help you and support you any way you can. And I'm just grateful for you being part of our team and for obedient, being obedient to the call God has called you to. Thanks, now, man. let me finish up the message so you get out of here. Give Ben a hand, will you guys? And appreciate him. I mean, I, I hear that and I go, well, there it is again, right? It is scary. Whatever we're facing, it is scary. And we do not want to be like Peter, where he would say, everyone deserted Jesus. It's time. We want to be able to say, listen, we were scared and we were nervous. We weren't sure what to do, but we knew God was with us. Because Peter would say, my biggest regret, my biggest mistake, the thing I had to live with, even though I was forgiven, is I decided God is not near. In the moment when they arrested Jesus, God is not near. And later on, he said, but he was. He was with us, and I just missed it. And Peter would look at you, and he would look at me, and just simply say, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Don't abandon your Savior. Don't abandon the faith that has carried you. And if you're just starting to lean into faith and something gets in the way, if this is a brand new journey, don't stop leaning forward and fall backwards because Peter said it was my biggest regret. I had to live with that forever. What's awesome about this story is after the resurrection, all these men and women that abandoned Jesus would spend the rest of their lives talking about the good news, living out the good news, and dying for the good news. And their message was simply this, that God is near. God is near you, and God is near me. And you're not far. 
So do not give up. Keep loving your kids. Keep loving your spouse. Keep loving your neighbor. Keep showing up and giving up to God what you can't do and trusting him and following him, even when it looks like none of it makes sense, because he will be near to you and with you because he loves you and he cares about you. It's a simple response of saying yes to a God that we can trust. Yes, I will follow, even in the darkest days. And for some of you, I know it's hard. And for some of you, I know it's terrifying. But it's worth trusting in God and responding to the invitation to follow him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the message of Jesus and Peter telling us in such a real and honest way. Lord, for those of us that are walking into scary things and dark days and are in the middle of storms and mess, I pray that we would know that you are near and you care and you love us with all of your heart. And when we hear the invitation to follow you, hang on to you, that we would just simply say, yes, God, I'm going where you call me to go. Even if it feels a little terrifying and a little painful, that we can trust you. And for the people that are here and this whole faith thing is brand new, and they're not even sure what it all means yet, that they would just keep listening and seeking and asking and desiring to be close to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.